Man, it's great to see all of y'all here today. I'm glad you came. You're going to be glad you came. Coley, you're looking good, bro. You did all right. Great to see everybody. See some, see some faces I haven't seen in a while today, and I'm, I'm glad to see them. Uh, so good job getting ready and, and getting yourself to church today. Hey, just a few announcements before my man BT gets up here. Um, first of all, we are, as I announced last week, we are planning to do another run of the Love and Respect um, marriage small group. Troy and Kara will be directing that. Awesome material. Um, if your marriage is doing great, you'll get a lot out of it. And if your marriage is not doing so great, you'll get a lot out of it. Um, it's a worthy thing. So if you are interested and have not yet given your name to Troy and Kara, please do. Please get that into them. Uh, don't have to worry about times or those details right now. Just, uh, just let them know, hey, I want in. And, uh, and they'll keep you updated. So uh, next week, uh, as I said last week, next week we, we're going to shift our focus just a little bit in here because we've been doing relationships, right, since the beginning of January. And now we're going to shift our focus just a little. Still going to have some relationship basis, but we are going to shift our focus and start talking about purpose, about God's purpose for your life, about living with purpose this is what some of you need. Some of you need this, and uh, you need to be here. You need to be here. I'm glad you're here today. I want to see you back here next Sunday. If you can live your life uh, with the, with, through the lens of your purpose, it will impact every relationship that you have. And some of you, the reason why your relationships are struggling is because you're faltering in your purpose. So let's get the purpose settled and watch what happens to your relationships. So please be with us for that next week. Everybody listen up. This coming Tuesday night, Pastor, let me know. We are going to uh, start churchwide prayer again. Sister Murph, am I right? Okay. And this coming Tuesday night at 730, churchwide prayer here at the church. Uh, special night this coming Tuesday night. We want to focus our prayer on all of our students and educators as we return back to school. So um, if you've got kids in school, if you're an educator, uh, we want you to be here. Come and help us pray. Even if you don't have a kid in school or you're not an educator, we need all the prayer we can get. Um, so come and pray. Come and pray for your kids. Come and pray for the people that are teaching your kids, educating your kids. That's this coming Tuesday night at 730. Now, last week, BT came and talked to us about withness, withness, and uh, he talked about our relationship with God, and he framed that um, so perfectly. I, I took a lot of notes last week, BT, and uh, it was good stuff. Now, today is Withness the sequel. I'm looking forward to that. I want to encourage you to take notes. I want to encourage you to take notes. If you do that with pen and paper, if you do that on your electronic device, get one thing today and write it down. Every time you don't take notes, I'm convinced the devil wins. I'm serious. Y'all can laugh, but I'm convinced the devil wins because what happens is it's good. And you tell BT it was good. And you talk to your friends, man, that was good. But then you go out of here and then you get fed again whenever you go next door. And by the time you get fed like your lunch, what happened in here is kind of just gone. So come Monday, Tuesday, it's not really there. But if you can get one thing, just one thing, and take it with you out of here, 
over the course of a year, you've racked up 45 or 51 things, and, and that will benefit you. So take notes. Don't let the devil win. Take some notes today and, and let God put something in you that's lasting. BT, man, you know I love you. You know me better probably than anybody else in this room, and uh, you still love me. So that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, I love you, sir, and I thank you for your voice in this classroom. We don't hear from you enough, and uh, I'm really looking forward to what you have to say today. Y'all welcome him up here to the stage today. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Y'all say witness. You didn't say it right. You got to say it real fast. Witness. There you go. I like that better. Greetings and good morning. I appreciate all of that again. Rid of this thing again. Uh, I love you too, Jason. Thank you for saying that. And you're you're not a hard person to love, so give yourself some credit. I want to just start with with a little bit of recap from last week, and I've got a I've got a lot of words today, so I need to hurry. But um, just just bear with me. I want to start with with kind of the basis for where we started last week, which was Mark thirteen and fourteen, when Jesus said, "And he ordained the twelve that they should be." with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. We noted the order of what happened there. Y'all remember that Jesus calling the whom he would, he called some people out of a crowd, and then the second thing was he ordained 12, and, and the effect or the ordination effect was their witness with him. That was the ordination. It was he, they were going to be with him. And then after they had been with him, he sent them out to do some specific things, to preach and to heal and to deliver. That, that order was important. And then we came to that, that verse in, in Revelation 12 and 11 where it said, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We said that the word of your testimony is the story of your effectiveness. And your effectiveness is the result of your witness. Y'all with me? Effectiveness is the, the result of your witness. We established that, that effectiveness, effectiveness, comes from effectiveness. We said that if you've, you've not been affected by a relationship with Jesus, then you probably can't really be effective in communicating his cause. Then we started to explore, and, and I hope that you, you got this point to understand the broader history of God's heart for you. We said that in the beginning, he created us, and he created a place for us to be with him. That was the garden. That was Eden. That's what its purpose was. But we messed that up. We messed up our access to God by sin. We sinned. Eve sinned. Adam sinned. And we separated ourselves from God in that way. We read the scripture in Isaiah 59 that says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin had hidden the face of God from mankind. Remember, we said that the face of a person as we know it is the most identifying thing. It's the most expressive thing. It's, it's how we really know what you're saying and who you are. And we had hidden that part of God from ourselves. And because of that, we really kind of lost the true hope of a real relationship. 
It didn't change the fact that God loved us. He, he still loved us. But we had really made access to his presence difficult. So as a result of that, God made a new process by which sin could be dealt with and we could have access again. Okay? The shedding of blood. There had to be bloodshed to cover the sin. So that was the new path to the presence of God, but it wasn't easy. It was indirect at best. It was very difficult. Sin had caused this separation from God. And then we said that God changed the plan again. We get to that New Testament time when he came to earth himself physically to settle this witness dilemma that we had created. I also noted that it was really important that we understood that he did all of that within the parameters of his own pre-established word. He didn't change the rules, but he got involved in the rules. He, he moved in physically in that way. There, had, there still had to be bloodshed. But it wasn't going to be like it was. It was going to be the new way, the new blood. I talked about the five stages of God's life as I saw it. And I, I really I wanted to repeat these because I want you to get it. In the first stage, he came in the flesh as a baby. And he lived just like we live. He lived as a child. He lived as an infant. He lived as an adolescent. God bless him. He lived as a, a teenager. He lived as an adult, a carpenter. He did all the regular stuff. I don't think there was, it was extraordinary yet. God was a man at that time. And then in the days of his ministry, that began to change, Tanya. He started to perform miracles. And we see in those three and a half years what, what the, the marriage or the partnership between a, a, a man, a regular average everyday man, and a God can do. We saw God working through the conduit of man. Then in the third, the third stage, the crucifixion comes. He dies for us. In the first two stages of his life, the exposition of his purpose is kind of separate. In the first phase, he's, he's living just like us. In the second phase, he's really being a whole lot of God, as, as I see it. And then in the crucifixion, he marries these two things. Because he's doing the most at both. He's, he's experiencing the most contrast when it comes to being human. His, his pain is horrible. His rejection is horrible. It's, he's living through a terrible, terrible human experience. But his response to all that is so godlike. We rejected him, hung him. He died for us. But his response to all of that comes from the completeness of the character of God that's inside of him and he doesn't reject us back y'all remember that in the fourth stage jesus is dead he's gone there's there's no jesus on the earth he's sealed in the tomb and then he does this cool thing he brings himself back to life pretty incredible but the really neat thing i thought about as i was preparing for that lesson is what he did when he came back to life he raised himself back to life. He's God and he's got a home, right? I would kind of be lent towards going there. But he doesn't do that. He stays with us another 40 days and just does more of the same that he had done in the, in the previous times. More healings, more miracles. Stayed with us another 40 days. Then after the 40 days is over comes the ascension. 
He leaves, but he tells us that he's leaving only to go and prepare a place for us. But not to be nervous about that because he's going to send a comforter. The fifth stage is that he sends himself, the Holy Spirit, back not just to be with us, Jonathan, but to be in us. So the broader story of God's heart for you is that he wants to be with you. Everything that he did was about being with you. I think we should find comfort in that. Amen? That brings me to where I want to start today, what I want to focus on today. And that is withness between us. Y'all probably saw that coming, but I want to focus on, on three relationships or parts of relationships in our lives that desperately need some withness. We're going to talk about withness in your friendships, withness in your marriage, and witness in your church, or witness in your Christian walk, if you would. Just to give you a little history on where all this started, um, for me, the, the concept of understanding the, the deeper parts of this very obvious and simple thing came a few months ago when, when a friend of ours invited Nancy and us to a birthday party for his wife. And in all honesty, I've not been to very many birthday parties for adults like I, we, we make a lot of kids birthday parties but there's not been very many ones for adults I don't think Nancy says that we had one when I was 30 I don't remember that that's not surprising okay but um, apparently a couple of people came and we had some cake or something but yeah something happened I don't remember <laughs> should have took some pictures I guess <laughs> But what I saw in, in this birthday party with this, these people was really, really neat. And I'm a bit of a people watcher. I like to sit and watch. And uh, maybe sometimes that's taken wrong. I'm not trying to be obtuse and on my own. I just like to watch people. I like to watch them interact. When we go to the mall, I like to sit on the bench. I hate shopping, so I might as well just sit on the bench and watch people interact. I like to watch their faces. I like to see one, say th one, one thing to someone and see how they respond. I just think that's fun. Some people think it's a stalker, but I just, I think it's fun, okay? So I sat here and I watched uh, in this party these people interacting. And it was just beautiful, and it struck me in a way that I had not been struck before. Um, there were just a lot of smiles and hugs and laughs and there were some giggles. And the birthday girl, she, you know, she was getting all the attention and it was good for her. It was a beautiful thing. There was food, and some people brought gifts, and we all ate. I'm sure that that lady whose birthday it was felt really loved and appreciated that day. But when I left, I felt like I had been a part of something valuable. It wasn't about me at all. It was all about her, and it was about her people, her village, if you would, circling up around her, focusing and saying, hey, we're happy that you're here. We're happy that you were born. Glad that you are here and we get to be with you today. It was about the village celebrating her. That was a beautiful thing. It was a great time of witness. I remember, you know, this, uh, Hillary Clinton wrote a book some years ago, and the name of the book was um, Takes a Village, and it was talking about raising kids. And I think the conservative right 
had a lot of fun with that, making fun of it, but I kind of agree with her. I don't know if, it, if, it, if there has to be a village, but there sure helps if there is one, okay? So there's just something about the witness. That party was just a great, great time of witness. It's occurred to me in, in a quite a glaring way over the past few months that we simply do not celebrate each other enough especially as adults. We do okay with kids. But with adults, we just really don't celebrate each other near enough. I've not celebrated the people in my life enough, and they're important. They're important to me. We should celebrate each other at more of those built-in opportunities, Ryan, those birthdays and anniversaries and graduations professional accomplishments, really just any excuse that you could find to celebrate someone would be a good one. If we don't do that now, then when will we do it? This is one of those things that, you know, it's easy to do. It's also really easy not to do. If we don't do it now, then when will we do it? You all know when the biggest celebration of your life happens, right? It's when you're not here anymore. You don't even get to see it. You don't get to be a part of it. We're going to be laying in a casket. And, the, and everybody that knew you, that loved you, is going to show up, and they're going to say good things about you, and you're not even going to know what happened. That's a shame. Now, I'm not suggesting that we change that. I think that should still happen. But I am suggesting that during the days that we're here, that we can see and touch and, and know each other, that we should use those opportunities to celebrate each other. Let's start showing some genuine excitement for good things that happen to us, for good things that happen to our friends. We'll get into that some more in today's next steps, but it's notable to me that the way things are going in culture, in the world, especially where we are, uh, is in a direction where it seems more and more convenient for people not to be with each other. I thought that the invention of the text message was awesome. Now, I didn't discover it until, I'm sure I was late. I mean, it was not that long ago, really, but I thought it was great because, I, I, you know, there's a lot of things that I do during the day that ju we just need to exchange some information. I need to ask you something, and you need to tell me an answer, and if we can avoid the, all that other unnecessary chatter, then we can save some time, right? It, it is more efficient sometimes. But in the modern world, people seem to need people less and less. The, the more jobs that we can get robots to do, the better. Because robots are cheaper than people in the long run. You, you, you can't buy a person, but you can own a robot, right? And it'll do the same thing that it's programmed to do over and over, and if a bearing goes bad, and you just fix it. It's not going to argue with you. Driverless cars are being tested. I, I saw the other day that you can, you can buy a pizza in New York and it'll deliver with a drone. Interesting, huh? Stuff's being tested. I also read the other day that Amazon is working on eliminating the need for cashiers at its newly acquired Whole Foods stores. Everything in the store, and this is not new, but there I think Amazon's got the muscle to get it done. Everything in the store will be equipped with an RFID transmitter. And as you leave the store, the store will just know what you took. And it will charge your card. No need for cash. 
Oh, and the church loves to talk about the cashless society, but what about the peopleless one? You don't need cash, but you don't need a people either. That's what we need to worry about. This morning, this very morning, this happened to me. Nancy wanted a hot tea, so as we left the house, she ordered it on her phone from Starbucks. We drive up to Starbucks, and she says, Babe, would you go get my tea? So I hop out of the car. There's really no customers, maybe one or two, but there's a bunch of people behind the counter working. I walk in. Nobody says a word. There's a cup with Nancy stamped on it sitting on the counter. I take the cup and leave. Nobody says, thank you. Did you pay for that? Yeah, I just, nothing. There was no interaction. It's crazy, y'all. There was a study done recently that showed the average American family eats only one meal together per week. Another study from 2013 showed that the average American family spends two hours and 20 minutes together on any weekend day, Saturday, Sunday, two hours and 20 minutes. During the week, 36 minutes on average. That's your quality time today. The reasons that were cited were just the ones you'd expect. Parents are too busy with work. Kids are too busy with social media, screen stuff, game this and app that, after school stuff, activities. There's just always something going on, right? Who needs to visit a friend these days because you see every move that your friends make on your phone? You open Facebook 75 times, a, I shouldn't say you, we, I open Facebook 75 times a day or whatever just to see if there's anything happening that might be interesting enough for me to read about. And usually there's nothing. The way it is. Y'all need to tighten up. What could possibly be gained by being with a friend when you know everything that's happening as it is? You see, relationships aren't efficient. They're not efficient. They're messy. They're sticky. They get uncomfortable. They're expensive. They can be explosive. They hurt sometimes. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the risks are worth the purity of the rewards. They're worth it. Folks, we were made in the image and likeness of God. And we were made for the purpose of being with God. So it stands to reason that we need some witness ourselves. If you need more evidence than simply what I just stated, look at, at the fact that God created Adam in the beginning. And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. We had an inherent need for some witness ourselves so he created the loveliest thing ever created the woman and all the fellas said amen that was weak that was pretty weak no we're gonna pass listen to what the word says in ecclesiastes 4 and 9 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor for if they fall the one will lift up his fellow, but woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to lift him, to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? 
And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There are blessings hidden in witness. Two are better than one, three are better than two, and so on and so forth. There was this buzzword in the business world some years back. I think it started in the 80s. But the word was synergy. Does anybody remember that? Synergy. I've not heard the word used in a long time. It's kind of stale by now. But it's the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So that means that if, if Susie can produce 10 widgets a day and Johnny can produce 10 widgets in a day, but if Susie and Johnny work together, they can produce 25 widgets in the same day. That's synergy. Those five extra widgets came from just these people working together. The business world didn't invent it. God designed that in us, and he had a purpose in it. God designed it. Solomon identified it in Ecclesiastes. I believe that God made us that way to give us a built-in incentive to be together because he knew it would be messy for us to be together, and that might cause us to be apart a lot. Remember last week's message, just think about how messy it was for him to be with us. It was messy. It continued to be messy. It never really got clean. It's still messy right now. But he's still working at it. All right. That's gonna, let, let's get into the, to the meat of where we're going today. Let me start with uh, withness in friendships. I love a good story, as you all know. A couple of months ago, I had this little surgery on my neck, and I, I'd never really had a surgery before of, of any kind, and I was a little nervous about it. The surgery itself was common, but it is dangerous because they tell me that your, your spinal cord is important, you know, <laughs> and, and apparently the higher up it is in your spinal cord, the more stuff it affects. Well, mine was like underneath my mouth, so that was a big deal. I was nervous. But the day arrived, and, and Miss Nancy there took me to the hospital, brought me in. We're sitting in the waiting room, and she says, you know, there's going to be some people come today. And I said, really? She said, yeah. <laughs> and I, didn't, I don't know if I said this out loud, but I really didn't want them to come, if I can be honest with you. Just, it's not, it wasn't them, it was me. The whole idea, you know, them, me laying in a bed in some pre-op room somewhere, and my friend showing up. That just makes me uncomfortable. I love those people dearly. It wasn't them, but I didn't want to be seen laying in the bed nervously in a hospital, in a hospital gown. <laughs> yeah. You know, exposed, <laughs> weak, fragile. I didn't really want to be seen that way, but they showed up. Some I expected and some I didn't. And they stood by and they, they held my hand and prayed for me and made small talk. They stayed, I don't know, a few minutes. The doctor came in while they were there, and he chatted a little bit. He drew some stuff on my neck and on my chest and made conversation. He told us he was going to go get him some breakfast, and when he was finished with breakfast, he'd come back and do my surgery. I said, okay, good. And then they all left. I think that the whole, that whole moment of witness lasted six or seven minutes, people that I see all the time. But, you know, it took all that tension that had previously existed and made it disappear. I didn't notice it right then, but I just wasn't, 
I wasn't worried anymore. I wasn't nervous. I was cool. It was fine. The surgery went on. Everything went fine. I woke up, you know, later that day in the hospital bed. And that, that moment of witness was on my mind. I thought about that a lot that day. We're meant to be together. That day, I felt firsthand the power of the value of, of my friends being physically present. Physically present. I, I got a lot of texts and calls, and I appreciated all of those. But it occurred to me later that that wouldn't have taken the place of the people that showed up. It wouldn't have taken the place of the people that I got to look at and see that day. But I do want you to be prepared for something, especially in witness in your friendships. And that's that witness just ain't all peaches and cream. It's really not. One of the effects of, of really knowing people, of really being with them, is kind of seeing all of them. This is the sticky part. The flesh is ugly. That, that's never going to change. So when you have the opportunity to be really with people, you're going to get to see the uglier side of them. And they will have the opportunity to see the uglier sides of you. You're going to be taken back at times. You're going to be like, oh, hmm, I didn't know he would do that. Maybe I shouldn't be with him so much. That'll happen, y'all. You'll see the critical, carnal, angry, discourageable, depressible, fearful, fragile, weak, and weary come out in them after you've been with them enough because it's in every bit of it. It's in all of us. They'll see it in you. But it's worth it. It's worth it. I promise you, it's worth it. It's worth it because we're made for being together. It's not good for a man to be alone. We're not made to be alone. I sometimes hear people say this as a general statement. They just say, I don't like, I just don't like people. Just, people just not my thing. And when I hear that, I, I just struggle. It's just, it's, I'm like, aren't you people? <laughs> Did I miss something? Are you not a person? But you, you can't help but wonder if, if that person likes who it is that they are. Remember what I said last week about how we really can't relate to other people until we can relate to Jesus. If that's how you feel about the population in general, hmm, you might ought to take a good hard look at your relationship with Jesus. And if you're honest with yourself, I think that you'll find that what's lacking is effectiveness. I, 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 not effectiveness. Y'all make sure you get that. If you feel that way, look at yourself. Have you been affected? Have you been affected? Because Jesus loves you, and whether you know that or not is what will determine whether you love other people. You can't have an encounter with the love of God and not be affected. Let God love you. He's not going to hurt you. I, I know that Mom might have hurt you, and I know that Dad might have hurt you, and you, your pastor might have hurt you, and your friends have probably hurt you. I know that you've been hurt, but don't close him off. You've got to take a brick out of that wall. He's not going to hurt you. And once you come to the understanding that you're loved, you'll be able to love. The benefit of that is a happy life. You'll enjoy your friendships. 
It'll be a, a, a blossoming thing for you. Instead of looking for ways to avoid people, which a lot of us do, you'll look for ways to be with them. You'll look for ways to be with them. The second thing I need to talk about is witness in your marriage. Don't let the sneaky little culture affect your marital witness. There are a few things that um, do more damage to us than the, than the killer, the silent killer that is distance. You know, the marriages don't fall apart overnight. Husbands and wives don't blow up on each other on Tuesday and go look for the divorce lawyer on Wednesday. That's just not how that works. It's the small foxes, as Brother Bernard once preached. It's the little foxes. A little more here and there. A little more distance today. One more strike to the wedge between you from the enemy. A little more distance every day. A little more separation here and there. And then one day you wake up and a fight seems appropriate because the distance between you tells you that you're not on the same team. That person who used to be your closest advisor now looks like an adversary on the horizon. Up close six months ago it was love, but now it looks like loathing because of the distance. I know married folks, and there's, there's a bunch of you here, that it seems like the pressing thing to do is upgrade. You need a nicer house, an extra bedroom, a newer car, more diamonds in your ring, Whatever. I know that there's, that seems like it's the right thing to do. I know it feels like your kids need all the stuff that the other kids have. You feel pressure because of that. A parent feels pressure. Or maybe they just have to go to that, that private school. I know that the chase is on. And we, especially us guys, especially the men... We need to feel like we, we're conquering something to feel like that we've won at the American dream. And the way we define that these days is with money, with the appearance of money. All, if I can just boil all that down, what your family needs, what your marriage needs is you. You could get by with everything else gone. But if you can be together, you'll work the rest out. Now, you can have everything else, but if you're not together, not going to work. Y'all see how important that is? It needs you. Some of y'all are waking up in the morning and wondering to yourself, why did I get married again? Why did I marry this dude? Why? I don't remember. It's a little fox. And it started in a small way, but the distance has added up. You can't count on your feelings because your feelings are all about the present. They learn from the past. They worry about the present. They take no account of the future. You can't think just about your feelings. Trust the process. Get together. You'll stay together. The same principles apply to your kids. I'm running quickly out of time. I don't have a lot of time for that. 
But understand that if, if your marriage is strong, your kids will be fine. Your kids are not the most important relationship in your life. Your first important relationship is God's. Your second is your spouse. That sends red flags up for a bunch of y'all, but that's the way it is. You ignore your kids and make your, your marriage strong, your kids are going to be fine. But pay attention to your kids and ignore your marriage. Things will go awry. Marriage is run on witness. Kids thrive and survive on witness. The last point is a little bit broader in its scope. Obviously, it covers all the aspects of our lives, and there's some overlap into what I've already said. But I'm talking about now the third thing, Christian witness. Christian witness. As we pre previously established, you're not going to be affected by Jesus if you choose not to be with him. Right? The same precept holds true for our relationships with each other. We can't benefit from what we all have to offer if we're choosing not to be with each other, if we're choosing to be absent. Look at some of the examples from the word where Jesus physically touched people. I'm going to give you four. There's a bunch, but I'm going to give you four. The leper, Matthew 8 and 1. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Number two, that woman that was bent over, she couldn't stand up straight in Luke 13 and 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from this infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The Roman soldier, Luke 22 and 50. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear, his ear and healed him. Last one. The blind men in Matthew 9, starting with verse 28. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him and said, Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. There are many, many, many other examples. But I want you to see what's obvious here. Jesus physically touched these people, and that fact is not insignificant. For the sake of full disclosure, he didn't touch everyone that he healed or delivered. There were some, there were a few that he did not physically touch. There was one that he wasn't with at all. But everybody that he touched was healed or delivered. Everybody that Jesus touched left with a changed life. The touch became his mark for the healing power. It noted it. It put an asterisk and said, when I touch you, Things happen. Things change. Do we all agree that, that Jesus could have marked those healings in any way that he chose? I mean, he could have said nothing at all. 
could have just healed them and they go along on their way. Right? Jesus could have winked when he said, you're healed. That would have been fine. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have just declared their healing. He could have had them recite a prayer. He, he's God. He can do it whatever way he wants to. But y'all see what I'm talking about here. Remember his heart's intent and how it was revealed in the history of his actions. He touched these people. His touch is what marked his divine healing and how they received it. Can I make an obvious point for you today? Can you touch someone if you're not with them? You cannot. Grace Church cannot touch its community, community if we're not in it, if we're not with it. The word on the big screens this year has been reach, and it's a good theme. It's a great theme. But let me say that reach is sandwiched between some other things. On the one side, reach is comforted by witness. You can't really reach someone or something if you're not with it. I can reach for the moon, but I can't touch it unless I get to doing some traveling first. Reach is a middleman in the sequence. Before you can reach something, there's got to be some reasonable proximity. That's the step before reach. It's, it's with. It's withness. Jesus modeled that when he came to the earth as a man. Withness was his first step in proximity in changing the way that he dealt with man. He didn't reach down from heaven, Jason. He came down. Once you're with them, then you can reach them. Withness is on the one side of reach, but touch is on the other. In all those cases, we read there were three obvious facts. Jesus was physically present. There was witness. Then he reached out. And for us today, that's an act of faith. It takes faith. It takes some discomfort, some R-I-S-K, Jason, to do the reaching. But then the third thing was that he made contact. He made a connection. Listen, the, the point of contact is what marks the miracle. Miracles are drastic and dramatic changes. That's when things change, when the contact is made. I'm talking about witness in your walk in the church, witness in your walk with the lost. You've got to be with them. You can't be them, can't be like them. Can't do what they're doing, but you can't touch them unless you're with them. Your next steps, two things. I should have given you this first one last week. Forgive me. We were out of time, much as we are today. Get yourself some witness with God this week. I hope you do it every day, but if you don't, find a day and start. Just get in a prayer time. Stay there until the presence of God is known to you physically. He'll show up and you'll know it. Get yourself some witness with God. And step number two, after you've been with God, find someone else to be with. Find a reason to celebrate someone. Look them in the eye. Don't send them a text. You can send them a text, but send them a text about coming to see them. Be with them. Be with each other. Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, we are thankful today as we have entered your courts, God. We do so with thanks and praise we honor you. Lord, you've taught me so much here in the last few months about how you wanted to be with me. I'm thankful for that, God. Thank you for your burning desire, your passionate desire to be with us. 
Lord, teach us how to go out and be with the people that you're calling, how to be the bridge between you and them. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness.